and welcome to the Travel Agent Interview. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am privileged to have my husband, Joe, here along with me again for an episode dedicated to the city of Coventry. Welcome, honey. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for going on all these adventures with me and uh, managing our children while we attempt to see all these historical places. My pleasure. So today we're going to talk about visiting the city of Coventry. We were there for about 48 hours and could have gone a lot longer. Uh, But to lead up to getting to it, the people of Oxford did not really understand why we would be visiting Coventry. To be fair, neither did some of the people of Coventry. Um, (laughs) Our choice to go to Coventry was partially grounded in a one-day conference that I had at the University of Warwick, which is in Coventry and not Warwick, and some of the grad students there uh, kind of gave Coventry a hard time as visitors themselves for some number of years. Uh, One person in particular said, hey, if you want to see Coventry, I could show you some spots. I mean, they're not good spots, but I could show them to you. (laughs) Um, So they were a little self-deprecating. I mean, okay, so I think the people of Oxford are a little spoiled. The city has a lot of income. It's very clean. The sweet streets... Street sweepers come through on a regular basis. There's not a lot of garbage, not a lot of homeless people visible. I think Coventry probably doesn't have the income base that Oxford does. Uh, so things are a little, could use a sweeping. Well, it's also just very different in character. It doesn't have the sort of immense culture that Oxford does. Oxford has been a city for a very long time. Coventry was a town for a really long time, but has only become a city in the last few decades. So... It doesn't. It just. It doesn't look like a 12th century city like Oxford does. I just mean. I think that the people of Oxford are like, oh, there's debris on the ground. I cannot possibly visit Coventry. That's probably true. And they are missing out. Yes. So a little bit of culture shaming might be in order. You guys are missing out on Coventry. It has a lot to offer, and we're going to talk about that. So one of the things that I found leading up to going when I was doing my research is that there is an enormous statue of Lady Godiva smack dab in the middle of the city. And for my family, we love Godiva because there is a very delicious manufacturer of chocolate that you all are probably familiar with. And it is Godiva chocolates produced in Pennsylvania in the United States. And um, you can all say, Thank you to my dear old dad because he makes sure that all those little chocolates get in their molds the right way without bubbles. Thanks to Springer Pump. So shout out to dad. Thank you so much. And all this to say, I wanted to go hunt down the statue and take a picture for my dad. And the story is that, and this is, these people were real people, the Godivas. The story is probably not true, but it's a good story nevertheless. And explains the story of the naked lady on the horse that I had to tell my child about. So 11th century Lady Godiva and her husband were indeed real people. And she was not pleased with her husband, who was the lord of this area. And he was really taxing the people beyond what they could pay. And she pleaded with him and pleaded with him to reduce the taxes. And his bargain to her was that if she rode naked through the town on her horse he would reduce the taxes. Of course, he did not think that she would do it, but a lady of the people, she indeed rode through the town naked on her horse and yelled, stay in your houses. Don't look, don't look. And we get the expression peeping Tom because the way the legend goes is that a man named Tom peeped 
and he went blind on the spot. Apparently a monk famous for uh, storytelling and stretching stories added that about 100 years later, but that's the story. It's probably not true. But the thing that's true is that the Godivas were real people. They lived in this area, and they were actually very philanthropic, and they founded an early Benedictine monastery in the city of Coventry, which brings us to other religious places to visit, most importantly, the Cathedral of Coventry. And this is really the place that we set off to see because it's important historically for so many reasons. Joe, would you like to talk about Coventry Cathedral and um, maybe just its importance in history and then we can talk about what it was like to visit it? Sure. Uh, So there have been three cathedrals in Coventry um, during the time that the Earl and his wife, Godiva, um, lived. There was kind of this vying for power between two different cities. Um, and so uh, so they founded one of the cathedrals. Um, once the sort of the county seat, if you will, moved to the neighboring city, um, that cathedral fell into disrepair. And so in the 19th century, they built a, a second cathedral, the new cathedral, uh, St. Michael's Cathedral. And that was just sort of the local um, Church of England church in Coventry. So um, I would say there's nothing special about it by sort of UK or European cathedral standards. As an American, it's really it's still a pretty impressive yeah. um, building that I, I would have it would have been worth seeing um, regardless. But um, but Coventry, as you probably know, was the victim of one of the early raids uh, of the Luftwaffe in 1940 in the Blitz, um, Germans, uh, Germany's Blitz against England. So. Um, Coventry was really leveled. I mean, it, it, it was leveled and the cathedral, uh, was one of the things that was destroyed. However, some of the structure remained. So about three walls, the roof was completely caved in much of the interior burned, but these three walls and the tower remained. And so, uh, what's really amazing about this story is that, um, the provost at the time, so sort of the senior ranking clergyman of the cathedral at the time decided not at the end of the war, but the very next day, he decided that the cathedral should be um, should be rebuilt. There should be a new cathedral, and that it wouldn't be in the name of something like you know uh, England's resilience or something like that, but rather in the name of peace and reconciliation. And yeah. so he sort of devoted a ton of energy toward. Um, and toward, it was unpopular. Well, and, and you can imagine that it would be. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, one of the things he noticed, for example, was that after the bombing the cathedral ruins became the site of ecumenical prayer. So people from all different um, different faiths would come to this cathedral to pray about the war and about safety and a number of other things. And um, so he decided that there should be an ecumenical um, chapel within the cathedral that was for anyone to use uh, for prayer. And if you think about the 1940s, that was pretty forward-leaning. So even though the rebuilt cathedral is a Church of England space. There's a chapel within that space that's not that doesn't belong to Church of England. It's not sacred to the Church of England. And it's actually on a 999-year lease to an ecumenical body that governs it. And, that, and there's something really special about that to me that says in the heart of this, and, and keep in mind, this wasn't at the end of the war, you know, Germany's on its back foot, let's start leaning toward reconciliation. This is in 1940, right at the beginning. This man had enough foresight to think about reconciliation Christians across the world, non-Christians even across the world. How are we gonna How are we gonna reconcile when this is all over? And I think there's something really powerful about that. Um, and so, the cathedral ruin stands as sort of, I mean, something of a museum. It's a ruin that you should see for historic reasons. Mm-hmm. But then immediately next door is the rebuilt cathedral in, in 1960s architecture. It's incredible. 
stained glass. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's quite the juxtaposition with the very modern 1960s um, architecture compared against the more neo-Gothic uh, older cathedral. But uh, but anyway, there, there's something uh, I think pretty powerful about that. And then two other things I'll mention just historically: um, the the person who was responsible for cleaning out the rubble after the bombing. Um, he found that two of the beams from the roof, which had been scorched, I mean, they were burned through, they mm-hmm. fell to the floor and left the shape of a cross. They, they fell in the shape of a cross. And so he preserved those and just sort of leaned them against the wall in the shape of a cross. And those are still there, um, preserved where the altar used to be. Um, and so that has been a symbol of reconciliation for the community ever since. And then additionally, someone found... Um, and they're still there. And it's, it's open air. It gets, I mean, it's England. It rains on them all the time. And they're there. And they're still... And it's free. It's yeah. not like you pay a museum fee to go in. It's open to anyone. Um, but then the other thing they did is the um, the nails. They found a number of nails from the roof that survived because it, you know, it got burned, but the nails didn't get burned. And so they fashioned those nails into an iron cross and sent them as symbols of reconciliation to a number of cathedrals in the continent that were bombed by the Allies. So keep in mind that you know as this war is going on, there, there are cathedrals being bombed on both sides. And so even during the war, people of the Coventry community reached out to um, people of communities across Europe uh, and sent these iron crosses as, as a symbol of, um, of solidarity as, as community, uh, even though they were in the, in the midst of a, a pretty terrible war. And I think there's something pretty special about that, too. Yeah, it was oh, trying to wrestle a kid and like trying to read about these medieval nails that they pulled out of these timbers and welded together. It was very teary, very special. And one last thing I wanted to add about that was that the bell tower was not damaged. And so as you're walking around Coventry, which on a Saturday was largely empty, um, these bells are just ringing out in the city clearly. And it's just, it's, you know, the one thing that's not been destroyed on this, on this really historic site. And we did not have the opportunity to climb. I actually don't think it was open the day we were there for tourism, but you can climb up the bell tower and look out in the city. So that might be something you want to do. Probably not while they're ringing because they were loud from the ground, but um, something worth doing. Yeah, I guess one more, one more, one more thing. Um, on the smaller walls, so if you picture the, a normal cathedral shape, um, some of the walls are going to be shorter than others. On the shorter walls, it seemed like the windows were preserved in the sense that, so imagine these massive stained glass windows. There are a number of more intricate shapes made from the original stone. And then inside of those shapes, you would have had glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of that stonework in the center of the windows was preserved, whereas on the longer wall, uh, a lot of that stonework was completely blown out. So just to get a sense of how destructive um, the bombs were, the stonework in the windows is blown out on, on one side. So there's, there's these gaping holes where the windows should be. And yet on some of the uh, windows where the stonework was, uh, did remain. There are actually still shards of stained glass, little yeah. pieces, maybe six inches by six inches and yeah. tucked away in the corners. And it, it just is amazing to me that in the midst of that kind of destruction where stone and brick and wood are being just incinerated, um, there's these uh, beautiful, delicate, um, delicate yeah, art. just art that, that remains. Yeah. And um, again, I just, uh, obviously we can't convey what it felt like to be there, but as you travel across Europe, you can see so many um, uh, structures that were destroyed a long, long time ago. And it, it like for centuries me, ago. it gets to the centuries point where it's ago. all history. Whether it was destroyed 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, it feels the same. 
but this felt very different because it was destroyed so recently and so destructively um, in a war that it is still, I mean, it, it was our grandparents' war for people who are our age, so, it, so it, it's still very it real. It feels like offensive. Like, why would you do this to a church? But anyway. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to be fair, I, I mean, I'm pretty patriotic and all of that, but being in Europe, I'm an American, so that World War II was fought somewhere else for us. We sent our people off to war, um, but that wasn't the case for the UK. And so being at this church in particular and then hearing about the reconciliation efforts, you really get a sense that there was destruction in England for sure, but there was also destruction um, in Germany and elsewhere that the Allies caused, and it's all sad. I don't think it's any sadder. Um, because it's in England than it would be in Germany. You know what I mean? I do. And I don't know that I would have been able to forgive people that early on. I, I'm like a fighter to the death kind of a attitude when it comes to that sort of thing. You might have been able to do it. I don't know about that. I mean, that, that's the other note about this provost, Richard Howard, is that he decided that the cathedral should be rebuilt. And by rebuilt, I mean the new cathedral that's just off to the side of the, the current ruins. But he decided that it should be rebuilt the day after the bombing. And he mm. decided to do it in the name of reconciliation. And that really does take some kind of grace. I, I don't think I'd have had it. All I have to say, folks, for you naysayers that don't know why you should visit Coventry Cathedral, it's a good lesson for, I think, us as Americans and for probably the British people who we have been at war for a long time. And for us to identify and say, there are people that we're enemies with, but it doesn't mean it's a whole country or a whole people group and we can still love people and hate evil and be forgiving. If that makes sense. Yeah. I was, it was a powerful experience. I obviously can't transmit that, but, um, but it's worth doing. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Getting unchoked up about things. Okay. There's something else worth doing in, not in Coventry, but it's outside of Coventry. It's Castlecombe Abbey. It was an abbey built in the 11th century. It was later, um, they, I'm going to get my kings messed up. I think it was Henry said, no more abbeys because everything's now Church of England. Uh, and so it was surrendered to the state. And then it was later the home of Queen Elizabeth I. And it is one of these palatial, you know, stately country, I guess, residences at one point, And now it's a hotel with something like 118 guest rooms all with their own ensuite. It's a beast. It's, it's gorgeous. But most importantly for me with children, it has an excellent playground. So if you have children, there's an excellent playground and it's built, you know, kind of like a little mini castle setup with an area for younger kids and an area for older kids. There's a visitor center with a little restaurant with a baby changing area and all the things, but it has a car park where the admission is purely, you know, you pay for your parking and it has these fantastically wide paved stroller paths. So there is like the mom squads walking all over with babies and kids with scooters, lots of people walking their dogs. And it's just a really nice, beautifully landscaped, historical, you know, these wonderful picturesque pleasure gardens and a lake and lots of, if you want to see a swan fight a dog, this is the place to go because these swans were like lined up. There must've been a nest somewhere, but any dog that got near the swans was like getting snapped at. So Side note, but uh, this is a really stroller-friendly area. I would bring boots because your kids are going to want to muck around in some of the areas, but six miles of stroller-friendly paths that you can go on past the historical residences, through the pleasure gardens, down the woods, around the pond. So if you're looking for an inexpensive place for your kids to 
burn some calories and get that energy burned off, this is a great place for that. And you can also enjoy some of the, you know, nice pleasure gardens and, and the lovely scenery and swans fighting dogs and all of that. So that's just a little side note out of town. Lastly, um, just to tag on to the uh, World War II history, um, and I suppose World War I history, we visited the War Memorial Park of Coventry, which um, in the summer has a really nice um, splash park for children with these kind of leaping and hidden water features. But then it also is just a really nice paved walking park. There's lots of sports fields and has another excellent playground. But we went to see the memorial. Joe, you want to tell us the history of the park and the history of the memorial itself and what's there right now? Sure. Um, the War Memorial was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First, because it was built, I think, in 1929 as a memorial for the First uh, World War. Um, and then after the Second World War, rather than build a new memorial, they uh, did a bunch of things to it to make it a memorial to both wars, which I think is, is interesting. And it's not something that I think I can't think of any time I've seen that in the States. Um, and again, that's might that might be because in the States, we fought both of those wars over there somewhere, whereas those wars came home to um, to the people of, of England and of the UK in, in a more powerful way. And so um, it's almost as if it's a memorial to the badness of war in general, because it's about both world wars. So I thought that was really interesting and worth um, taking note of. Um, the other thing that uh, that I think the UK tends to do really well. I mean, we do this in the US also, but uh, the memorial is a tall tower and in the center of the tower, there's a room and the room is currently empty, but originally it housed the roles of all the men who were killed in the first world war who were from Coventry. And so, um, so there's something very sort of personal and local about the memorial. Now those um, roles are, are housed in an archive somewhere, but they are brought back to this memorial on Remembrance Day um, ceremonies. Uh, and so it's something that's very sort of real and tangible for the people of Coventry. Um, and I think there's something uh, uh, profound about that. Um, and then additionally, this is the obvious point, but I, I think it's worth mentioning anyway, that there's this massive, beautiful park where people go to play on the park with their kids or go for a run or or um, take their dogs out. And it's all it's all in the name of recreation. And yet it's a memorial to two terrible and destructive wars. And I think... Um, that strikes me as something that's very British, you know, this, this sense that we're going to remember this hardship, but we're going to do it, uh, in a way that's enjoyable and, uh, where we can go on and live our lives, um, uh, recreationally and, and joyfully. Um, but with this tower in the background, uh, kind of as a, a reminder of, of what we've been through. And I think there's something profound about that too. So that's not so unlike the South and their graveyards. Like this is a thing like in New Orleans. Like the halls, this is part of their background. They just, they'll take a Sunday picnic and they'll go hang out in the cemetery with, you know, and, and I guess maybe this is something they do in France also, where it's kind of you sit and remember your loved ones while you have a meal. I could see that. And that is different from the way that I think we think about cemeteries in the Northeast U.S. But I think that's still different from devoting this, it's not a cemetery, right? It's not devoted mm -hmm. to um, to death. It's devoted to recreation but it's in remembrance of something terrible. And that, that to me is what made it different. Yeah. I'd be interested in the history of development though, also because we have kind of unlimited, I don't want to say unlimited, but we have a sprawling nation. This, they do double time on a lot of things here because they're just, it's an Island, but um, yeah, it is, it is a pleasant place. 
And one last thing about um, being able to do recreation and remembrance at the same time, they had the elementary schools do something similar to the rock club that we participated in when we came across in the Queen Mary. And that is, um, you know, they had the students paint rocks with a theme of poppies, which is the national flower for remembrance for the, how am I going to describe this? Well, Remembrance Day, so what we call Veterans Day yeah. in November is Remembrance Day, and it started after World War One, and now it's used to remember both World War One and World War Two, and sometimes other conflicts as well. But the poppies are really symbolic of uh, what we would consider to be Veterans Day. Yeah, so they had the local students participate in Remembrance Day activities, painting these rocks with poppies. And so some of the teachers did it, the students did it, and, you know, it was it was art on these flat rocks. And they placed them all around the park as, you know, a, an activity of remembering the past from Coventry. And, and and then there's a Facebook page where you take your rock and you take a picture of you and where you found it. And then you replace it. And then the change should continue. And it's kind of taking those people's memories and continuing it and placing it on. And um, I, I really thought that was neat. And our daughter loved it. So we picked up one of the rocks. We happened to find three or four. We took one, and we're going to keep passing it along. So if you find a rock with a poppy on it, make sure to look at the back and find out whose Facebook page it's associated with. And um, keep passing it along because it's a nice thing to do. All of these things to say, there's a lot to do in Coventry. You should visit if you have a moment. And you should visit now before it becomes 2021 because Coventry has recently been awarded the UK City of Culture 2021. And this uh, this is a way to highlight a city in the United Kingdom for its historical and cultural treasures and help them to develop some commerce and ways to, you know, upkeep and maintain those things. And we're really happy to see that this is the city that was chosen because we think that there's a lot to preserve there and that you should go visit it. Anything you want to say on that, Joe? Um, yeah, just that we didn't, we hadn't heard of the City of Culture program until we started talking about going to Coventry. Um, and I think it's a really wise thing they're doing. They're borrowing from uh, the European uh, capital of culture, which has been going on for maybe a decade or two now. But uh, the UK saw um, um, Liverpool was selected as one of the capitals. And as a result, Liverpool's tourism went up that year and, uh, and they had a lot more income. And so the UK decided this is probably a good thing. So they're throwing some domestic money behind it. And every four years they choose a new city. This is only the third city that's been chosen. Uh, and different cities can create a bid and sort of vie for this, for this honor. And it does seem like a really nice way of, um, of cycling through the cities to kind of put the nation's attention on, on one city for a period of time. And, um, not just drum up more business, but uh, like Megan said, um, get people excited about what that city has to offer culturally and historically. And I think that's great. Yeah, and things that we didn't get to do that we'll be happy to go back and see are some castle ruins. There's an art museum, which is completely hands-on. So if you have children that like to do art and history, there's a great option right in the center of the city. Uh, there is also, it looks like they rent out the center city space to kind of a local carnival. We got to do some of those things. And... Um, we, uh, we had a good experience at the Holiday Inn. We would recommend the Holiday Inn of Coventry. And it does not have a pool, but it is affiliated with the sports club next door. And your children will be happy to know that there is a swimming pool that they have full access to. 
and Though a good it's breakfast. Not advertised on the website. Yeah, not advertised, but there you go. And if you forget your suits, there's a Tesco next door. So, you know, if you don't make it to the cathedral and the museums and the ruins, you can go to the Tesco. <laughs> and That's go swimming. what you should take away from this episode. <laughs> and it's hot in there. So, <laughs> anywho. Uh, lastly, I would like to read off a review that someone left me on iTunes. I would like to say thank you to Runner Mum 3 Runner Mum says, five stars, good tips and ideas for future travel. Megan does a nice job giving overviews of her travel experiences. Bonus for moms listening as she gives good mom anecdotes and tips. Also, the podcast gives some good and unique ideas for future travel experiences. Thanks, Runner Mom 3. I appreciate it. I think it's pronounced mom. Oh, mom. Sorry. She's a local. I have the worst fake British accent, which I'm not going to do, but I love to torture my kids with. So my husband's nodding his head. He does not want me to do it either. So. Her. Thanks, Runner Mom 3. Joe, is there anything else you want to add about traveling to Coventry? No, we had a great time. I recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Until next week, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Agent Interview and Joe saying good night. <laughs>